Hey guys, welcome to Tectonic Takes. I'm here with my co-host Ivan. How you doing, Ivan? I'm doing well on this Thursday evening. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. As you know, it's a little later than usual, but we're back at it again. We really do have to pump these out since these games are coming so fast after this Orlando bubble. Right, yeah. The way this schedule is going, it's looking like we're going to be covering two games a day for these next few po- or two games each for these next few podcasts. So it's going to be a lot to talk about, but it'll be a lot of fun too. Yeah, exactly. We have a couple of interviews coming up as well. Um, We have a whole bunch of season ticket holder interviews that we're going to go over in these podcasts as well. So stay tuned. Uh, Please subscribe. Rate us five stars. We would love it if you guys share it to your friends. In this podcast, we're going to go over a couple of things. We're going to go over the LA Galaxy game. We're going to go over the LAFC game and as well as the season ticket holder interview with Wondolowski. Me and Ivan were both able to go ahead and listen in on that. Um, so we definitely have a whole bunch to talk about. There was a lot of interesting tidbits from that interview. Um, but let's go ahead and talk about some Quakes news, Ivan. What happened? So former earthquake Quincy Americo has joined Frank Gallup's USL site, Las Vegas Lights. He was out of contract from his recent stint in MLS and – now it's great to see a former Earthquakes player who's a good contributor as time at the club still play uh, at a professional level here in the U.S. soccer system. Yeah, no, it's definitely really nice to see Quincy Ameriqua land on a side. Um, he was a big, big um, leader in the USL Black, Power, uh, Black Empowerment and as well as the MLS Black Players for Change. Um, and it's great that he has even – did he ever play with Frank Gallup? Do you know, Ivan? Um, off the top of my head, I think that might have been before his time. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird seeing two former Quakes kind of link up like that, but it's going to be fun to have him – we're going to have him here on the podcast later on this month, and we're going to ask him some questions about all that and about Black Lives Matter and how he had to go ahead and change the MLS mindset of empowerment. All right, so first off, we're going to go ahead and explain the loss to LA Galaxy. We went ahead and we're going to break it down first, give you the highlights, and then give you our opinions on what could have been better and what what players played well, what players played bad. Um, So LA Galaxy 3-2 Earthquakes at Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California. Which I have helpfully underlined because it's always hilarious to point out. Yeah, it's not really L.A. because when Zlatan came out here, he was not expecting to play in Carson. Yeah, he knew about L.A. and Hollywood, but not necessarily Carson. That's probably why he left. (laughs) (laughs) Quick scoring summary here. So at the 11th minute, Quicks opened the scoring in this game with Vaco with an assist from Tommy Thompson to make it 1-0. And then around the half-hour mark, Daniel Stairs equalized. He got on the end of a Sebastian Letgett set piece and it remained 1-1 until halftime. In the 58th minute, Cade Cowell scored a beautiful goal, which assisted by Vaco to make it 2-1 Quakes. Vaco with a goal and assist in this game. 
Unfortunately, though, Quicks would not hang on to the win. 69th minute, Tanner Beeson conceded a penalty for a questionable handball call. Christian Pavone converted, and then Sebastian Leggett scored the game-winning goal 3-2 off a uh, wild sequence coming off a corner kick. Yeah, you know, the Galaxy truly out, outshot us this game. It was 20-11, to 11, and then 11-4 to 4 on shots on target. Um, we... We had more possession, but the only thing is we didn't really use that possession. We kind of just hung around the midline, and we passed it back too many times. That's what I thought to really truly show how much pressure we're putting on them, as well as um, pass accuracy for both teams was 92%, and then the chances created was 3-1 to one by the Galaxy, so they definitely had us beat their corners. They also had us beat 8-5, to five. and then fouls. It was pretty even with Galaxy 10, Quakes 11, and the offside calls we had them beat. Galaxy had one, Quakes two, and the yellow cards were two for the Galaxy. Rolf uh, Feitscher, 51 Felcher. minutes. Felcher. And then Julian Arujo, 55th minute, and then the Quakes had none. Um, Ivan, what did you think of Cade Cal? How do you think he did? Yeah, this was uh, Cade Cal's first start for the San Jose Earthquakes. You've seen him come off the bench a few times, particularly in the MLS's back tournament. And Cal didn't seem to put a foot wrong there, so we felt it was only a matter of time before his role would increase in this squad. And partially due to the, the departure of Magnus Eriksson, Cal did see his role increase even further. And I think he's been one of the few bright spots in these last couple games with the Quakes, and he marked his first start with his first goal as a starter. So that's all you can ask for. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he did a great job. But in the first half, I truly thought that he was he disappeared. Um, he disappeared actually just as much as Christian Espinoza. Espinoza had a really bad game. But I think Cade Cal, kind of with that screamer at the end, really cemented his place in the squad. Um, I thought that was very noble of a 16-year-old to kind of just take the ball on and take that defender head on and, and give a crack at it. So I truly do think that with that mentality, he has a very high ceiling. Right. And if the worst thing you can say about players that they disappeared, especially as we talk about our next young uh, Quakes player, then I guess it's not the worst performance ever. It was definitely perhaps a bit inflated from that goal, but it, it was definitely something that Quakes fans will remember. Yeah, I agree. What? So there was a second new starter in the lineup, Tanner Beeson. Ivan, what did you think of him? It was definitely ups and downs, and it's definitely tough to be a young defender starting your first game in a rivalry game against LA Galaxy, which despite their struggles in 2020, they still have a formidable side, particularly on the offensive side of things. You have players like Sebastian Leica, who is a former U.S. men's international, so he's no slouch. And Beeson definitely had a few good moments, namely the uh, goal line block that prevented the equalizing goal at the time. But eventually he was at fault for a couple of the goals, particularly the penalty. Yeah, he lost his man on that um, on that cross that came in off of that free kick. Um, you can see Florian Youngworth kind of getting mad at him, but it was his first start. I don't know what we should, what we should expect. I mean, we're playing guys like Tanner Beeson, their first MLS start because we had to. Again, Ananis and um, Garam Kasia. Yeah, thank you. We're both injured, so we we are we. That's our next up. So unfortunately, Tanner Beeson got thrown out to the Wolves. 
But I think that he unfortunately didn't have that great of a game. He gave up two goals. I know, I know that wasn't a handball, but he put himself in that scenario where the ref could call it either way. I think if he didn't kind of whip his, his shoulder into the ball, it wouldn't have been called a handball. Yeah, you gotta give yourself the benefit of the doubt in those situations, and that was essentially eradicated with that twitch that he gave the ref to see. So it's unfortunate, but this is a learning experience for him, and deaf is deaf for a reason. Like you do need to have players in the squad that, even if they don't play every game throughout the season, that you know that they can produce some good minutes for you. And the only way to do that is to eventually give them those minutes. And it's not going to be pretty sometimes, but I think Beeson is going to improve from this. Whether it means that he'll be a part of the squad for the rest of the season or next season, or if he has to play a bit in Reno to improve, we'll wait and see. Yeah, so again, we were talking a little bit about the the penalty that Tanner Beeson gave up, and we kind of have a little bit of insight due to Wando telling us what kind of went down during those three minutes. We, we, Me and Ivan both have this question. How was the ref and the VAR assistant so egotistical to not even double-check the goal? Um Wando in, in the season ticket holder event said that the ref didn't want to go into VR because he for sure saw the ball hit t- uh, Tanner Beeson's elbow. So that that's not fair. I mean, they have to be able to put their ego aside and take a look at what actually is happening on the field. If there's four players, five players, even if it's from one team, you should double check your work. Um, again, you can't be so egotistical that you don't even – have the VAR check it, or you don't even listen to him, or was it Ricardo Salazar saying it was a handball? So if if the announcers are telling us that it's not a handball, that's a red flag right there. Ivan, how is this even allowed? Shouldn't all goals be looked at? Right. I think penalties in particular should always be looked at because they're such an important turning point in the game. Even if it's like a situation where – one team is 3-0 up and the team that's with zero goals gets a penalty, I would still want that to be checked because even in that case, like, it still could possibly change the outcome of a game. And in this case, it was 2-1 quakes at the time. So whether or not the Galaxy was given that penalty, that would be a decisive moment of that game. And if they're not given that penalty – do the Galaxy have that momentum to apply that pressure to win that corner that eventually gives them that goal that won them the game? Who knows? Basically, the whole game, we saw a Tommy Thompson that was just gassed. We saw a Tommy Thompson that was just getting beat every single play. After that assist he had in the first five minutes, he really looked like the worst player on the field. And I never say that about Tommy Thompson. Everybody loves Tommy, right? We never say that about him. But against Christian Pavone, like we said in the week, in the podcast before, watch out for him. He's a factor. And what happened, Ivan? Yeah, so essentially I got flashbacks. I thought I was watching the Champions League game the other day. But instead of Alfonso Davies causing Nelson Semedo problems constantly, it was Pavone doing that to Tommy Thompson. And I wouldn't go as far as saying maybe it was like Gareth Bale essentially ending Mykon's career because that's like the gold standard of a winger totally outdoing a fullback. But this was definitely a bad performance. And it says a lot that people are meaning it because Tommy Thompson is a fan favorite. He's 
a very, he's been at the club for so long, which is not easy to do when the Quakes have been, unfortunately, as bad as they have been for so long. And he's done a lot of good things while being a San Jose Earthquakes player, but this just wasn't one of them. Yeah, you know, we've been getting away with Tommy Thompson being at right back. The, the only thing I have to say about that is once we face the quality teams like the Diego Rossi's and the Christian Pavons and even the Sebastian Blancos and the Rui Diaz's and the Lodatos, we're going to get messed up on the right-hand side every single time. And all these West Coast teams know that. If you notice the LAFC game, the LA Galaxy game, they both went straight to Tommy Thompson's side. It's, it's no secret now. We don't have a right back. Tommy Thompson was doing a great job filling in that role. He does great going forward. Sometimes he has some really good link and play with Christian Espinoza, but cat's out of the bag. Everybody knows if you hit our right side, we are extremely weak. And he gets tired. Unfortunately, we saw Paul Marie come out for LAFC, but I believe he came out for the LA Galaxy game because we were all screaming at our TV telling, telling Matias that, pull Tommy out because that is just unacceptable. Christian Pavon was having anything and everything he wanted. Yeah, and we have a capable right back in our squad, not even talking about Paul Marie, who isn't a bad option, but Nick Lima's preferred position is right back. To move him to left back and to have Tommy Thompson playing at right back is a luxury that the Quakes don't seem like they can afford right now. You have to play players in your best positions. And if you move Nick Lima to right back, you still have Marcos Lopez who can play in left back now that he's back. Granted, that wasn't an option earlier this year because of his lengthy injury. But still, I think as players come in and out of the lineup for various reasons, such as injuries, you have to be adaptable. And as we saw from the lineups that Almeida put in the two games that we're covering, he doesn't make changes unless he's forced to, unfortunately. Yeah, even even in our farm system, we have Kevin Partida, we have Marco Lopez, and we have Nick Lima that have come up from homegrown contracts. So we we can make backs. It's not we we can make defensive backs. It's not like we don't have any options. I know Paul Marine as well came from the draft, I believe. But it, we can put these guys in situations where they can develop. I just saw no pace out of Tommy Thompson, and that's the first time I've seen it that glaring. He, we really do need some pace. Um, I know Kevin Partita went down to, to the Reno again, but we, we're going to have a, a podcast with him, so I'm just shamelessly plugging it. September 17th, we're having an interview with him. But, again, these are guys that can be in the squad. Um, we should be able to rotate them out, like you said. Um, that's going to transition us into kind of a, a studs and duds section. We took this from uh, Quakes After 90. Shout out to them. Um, but we're going to just do one. So we're, we're going to let them do their usual three, and we'll just do one. Ivan, who was your stud and who was your dud? Yeah, this was pretty cut and dry. The stud for me was Kate Cowell providing the best highlight for the Quakes in this game. And the dud was Tommy Thompson. It's unfortunate to give a player the scapegoat treatment, but there was no looking around this performance. Yeah, I, I like your picks. I'm going to go with different players. I'm going to say Vaco was a stud. I think a goal and an assist truly does get you man of the match, even though K Cowles was really nice. Um, and I'm going to go with the dud Tanner Beeson. I know he had a goal line save, but then he lost his man on that free kick and as well as giving up that handball penalty, which I know is not a penalty, 
But again, get yourself in that situation. You get your outcome. Just like right. Tito and Luis Suarez and Chris Wondolowski, there's no such thing as luck. You put yourself in that situation to make that goal. Right. And just by the principle of math, you save one goal, you cost two goals, you're negative one. So it's yeah, exactly. definitely a contender for dead. And Vaco, for all the criticism that I and other Quakes fans have given him in these last couple of years, that was a pretty good performance from him. Yeah, you know what's funny? Vaco is our Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, I think it's just the curse of that 10 role. Magnus Eriksson was that. He was our Jekyll and Hyde. And then Vaco in this LA, LA Galaxy game did great. I saw him tracking back, getting the balls. He was truly out there to win that game. And maybe it's him being in Carson. He always has good games in Carson. But Vaco was completely out of it in the LAFC game. But we'll get, we'll get into that when we get there. Um, so next segment would be we kind of had the season ticket holder interview with Chris Wondolowski. Um, we got to go ahead and talk about – we got to ask him some questions. Unfortunately, we didn't record it. Um, I will possibly record the next ones with Jackson Ewell, Tommy Thompson, and Victor Bernardez. The only thing is I'm not sure if we can play it um, due to the Quakes media team wanting to have it for promotional events. Um, but, Ivan, I'm going to go ahead and let you read the first kind of line that we have there. Right. So when asked what his favorite goal of all time, and we all know, everyone in MLS knows he has a lot to choose from, uh, he said that it was his goal against the New York Red Bulls in the MLS Cup playoffs in 2010. Yeah, exactly. So really, Chris Wondolowski had a, was very humble. He was really humble in this interview. Um, I believe the host, I, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the name, but he kind of lagged out and I had this opportunity to kind of jump in and just ask how many questions I wanted. So I made sure to get all these in. Um, but he kind of explained a little bit about this goal. I think this goal is more of a personal thing to him. Um, in this goal, it was on broadcast and Alexi Lawless was covering the game. And he said, this is a fluke. This will never happen. Wanda will never score this many goals again. You will never see them in the playoffs again. And when Wando told me that that was his favorite goal, the first thing he said was, this is not a fluke. Or I wasn't a fluke. So that was kind of fun to see that really emotional side that Wando has. He's really passionate about his career and his, his goals. And he, I was expecting him to choose maybe the, the you know, the, the breaking, the tie breaking goal or the the goal this the record setting goal Ivan mean, what did you think he was going to choose yeah initially I would have said that that would have been my choice the goal against the Chicago Fire to have the MLS all time scoring record but if he doesn't score this one against New York Red Bulls which was a big stage in his career to solidify himself as a consistent MLS player we might not get the several dozens of goals that came after that. And Alexi Lawless is an interesting figure in terms of the soccer coverage in the United States. He's the closest thing we have to like a Skip Bayless type of personality. And I I like Alexi Lawless. In fact, I've listened to the State of the Union podcast sometimes. Yeah, it's a great podcast. Yeah, he says a lot of good stuff. But he also is prone to various hot takes and – But the thing that I know about Alexi Lalas is that he isn't afraid to admit when he's wrong. The biggest example I can think of that is the 2014 World Cup. He was adamant that the USA could not get out of that group with Ghana, Portugal, and Germany. And he 
ended up being wrong as a lot of American fans were. And he was like, you know, what? I admit, like this was a good result from this group of uh, American players. And, you know, even though they limped out of that group and it wasn't the greatest performance against Belgium, we'd trade that for what would happen four years from now, right? So yeah. it is great that he does add, love him or hate him, he does add a lot to the soccer conversation we have in this country. And I'm glad that he was able to be a part of this incredible story for Wondolowski. Yeah, you know, it's funny. funny way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like the fire that burns his fuel. And, and I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting some like cliche PR kind of answer from Wando, but I was not getting that the whole time. So I thought that was really, really humane from him or really like a, it wasn't a PR answer. It was truly an emotional answer for him. Um, the next question well, I asked, the next question I asked Wando was actually um, where would he like his statue to be at earthquake stadium? And he started laughing. He really did. He, he, started, he started blushing. And he was like, hey, you know what? I would love a statue anywhere. You know, I, I would love a statue in Earthquake Stadium anywhere. But if, you had, if I had to choose it, it would be right next to Lobina, right next to the largest outdoor bar in North America. Because I know, he said, because I know everybody's having a good time out there. And it's always fun to be out there. Yeah, the way Wondolowski talks to people is – it's like we're all his friends and like we're all like just watching a game with him having some drinks like it doesn't feel like a press conference sort of thing granted like these are season tick holders are not formal members of the media not most of us anyway yeah. yet who knows <laughs> but um Wondolowski is a very authentic person Chris uh, is earnest in everything he says and his reaction to that question and then his answer you can get a more Chris Wondolowski answer than that. Yeah, I, I truly thought that was the guy who went with the ultras. I mean, what legend goes and parties with the ultras? I mean, that just shows what type of lad he is. I mean, he's a, he's a stand-up guy. He's a great father. He was talking about his kids a lot as well. Um, and his, his smile would just brighten up when, when he had an opportunity to talk about his kids. Um, and that's just – it shows a lot from, from a guy when, he, when he's like that. Um, and the yeah. next question someone asked was, Wando, if you could play with any player in the world, um, what players would you want to play with? And this one was a juicy question. I didn't ask it. Someone else did. I thought that was a pretty good question. And he kind of came out at us with, um, he's always admired Juan Mata from Manchester United, as well as David Villa. He always wanted to play with those guys. Imagine service from Juan Mata to Wanda. You know how many goals he would probably have by now? He'd probably have like 300. What do you think about that, Ivan? Yeah, I think the somewhat atypical answers, even though at one point in his career, Davi Villa was one of, if not probably the best striker on the planet. Uh, Davi Villa playing for New York City FC, so we know Wanda had a chance to play against him. And Juan Mata is definitely a type of player that I could see getting along with Chris Wondolowski. They have similar personalities and leadership roles in their respective teams right now. So I think that would have been a good match. Juan Mata would definitely look good in San Jose Earthquakes blue, but, you know, I would say that about a lot of players. <laughs> yeah, you know, the funniest thing is it's if we had a, uh, you know, a very well-off owner that would spend and, and – take care of his team 
I can say, you know, it could be in the cards. Who knows? But we all right. know that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And Wondolowski also mentioned that he wanted to move into a scouting role at the end of his career with San Jose Earthquakes. And, again, I could see Wondolowski doing this because he does get the best out of a lot of players that come through this club. And he knows what it takes. Like, he, he went through the uh, U.S. college soccer system at Chico State, and he – had to work really hard, and he went through several seasons in MLS without scoring a goal. So even if there's a player that may be overlooked by a couple people early on in his career, I think he'd have a knack for finding a couple of diamonds in the rough. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We got Wando for a bag of chips, so I'm really grateful that Houston Dynamo (laughs) accepted a bag of chips. (laughs) But this was actually a shock to all of us in the season ticket holder event. Um, He was asked if – he wanted any job in the Quakes FO after he plays. And everybody thought, you know, maybe a coach, maybe a head coach. But the first thing he said is that he doesn't want to deal with those egos. There's so many egos you have to deal with in a locker room that he said he, he would just get mad at them. You know, he wouldn't understand. <laughs> and I get, <laughs> I get that. He says the scouting role is more low key and, and something more his speed. Um, so we can possibly see maybe Wando GM question mark GM player. Maybe we'll see, but that'd be fun to definitely see. So the next thing, um, someone asked Wando about the Black Lives Matter movement and really what happened the hour to two hours before that game that went down or that didn't go down actually. And he said Juan, or himself and JT went to go out, tell Almeida that they weren't playing. And we were all shocked by this. We were shocked that JT went to go ahead and tell Wanda or to tell Almeida that they're not playing. So this is a shock to myself and probably Ivan as well, that JT is one of the leaders in the locker room um, that would stand up to their head coach and tell, tell him that we're going to go ahead and not play to make sure that we have a platform to show injustice for black people. It is a shock in a sense that it was JT Marcinkowski in that situation, but we do know that, San Jose Earthquakes are a team that with a lot of people, whether you're a young player or an old player, that you're not afraid to do the right thing and to step up when something needs to be said. A couple months ago, we had the 18-year-old Jacob Akanyarije, who was very outspoken about Black Lives Matter and the problem with racism in this country. And for someone so young to be able to say that, I think it says a lot about the mentality and culture in this Quakes team. And in this situation with JT Marcinkowski, it shows that, especially right now with a lot of people and fans calling for him to get some game time, even if he's not getting game time yet, he's definitely, his presence is being felt. And I appreciate all these contributions from these players. Yeah, it's truly nice to see all these players make a movement on the Richter scale of football. <laughs> how they say in FIFA. <laughs> no. Right. Yeah. That <laughs> comment is ingrained in me. I love it. <laughs> all right. And so Wanda went ahead and kind of kept on talking what the Quakes FO is doing to make sure that all these, yeah, cause the Quakes have a lot of foreign players. So they have to make sure that all these foreign players understand what's truly happening in the United States at the time. And they are actually going to have a professor Edwards 
from SJSU come in and speak to the, all the foreign players about the movement that's going on. Um, I believe this professor is um, in African-American studies. So he's coming down to kind of talk to all of the players and make sure that they understand what's going on. So that's some sort of change. I mean, you're changing the information into a lot of people's lives. Um, I know a lot of, we have a lot of foreign players on this team, so they're making sure that they understand it. Maybe they can take it back and tell people about it and that they were part of this whole scenario. Yeah, I think MLS is one of the most diverse leagues in the world. It's certainly the most diverse uh, league in North American soccer. And these are steps that can be taken uh, not just with the San Jose Earthquakes, you could get a UCLA professor to do this with the Galaxy and LAFC, an NYU professor with Red Bulls and NYCFC, and so on and so forth. There's so many great resources that you can use to educate people. And you're right, with being a black person in the United States is not exactly the same experience as being a black person in the UK, nor is it being a white person and so on. So there are different lived experiences that are being gathered in these soccer teams and to take a step out of soccer for a day or two and to give people this opportunity to learn about this recent history that's going on in our country. It's a great Thing. And it's not just a one-way street where they're learning about American culture and not the other way around. We know that these are players that take the time to learn and understand each other in their own languages and really connect with each other. And this is just another step in that process. Yeah. So Wanda also said in that tidbit that Almeida was a little bummed that that they weren't playing, but he did know it was coming. So even with the foreign coaches and the foreign players, they understand this movement 100%. Um, I think he said Almeida was bummed that they weren't playing just because he was so ready. You know, he had that fighting spirit in him to want to go out there and kind of win and all, all that good stuff. So, Ivan, that wraps it up for our Wando season ticket holder event. And we'll go ahead and go right into the review of LAFC versus the Earthquakes, which – if you're a big Quakes fan and you don't want to believe that they suck, please turn off the podcast right now. But we'll be right back and we'll go into that. We also have after that kind of this Matias Almeida interview that Joel Osorio put out. So we'll go ahead and do that. And then we'll get into your fan questions as well. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll be right back. The 16-year-old has given the Quakes a 2-1 lead. Well done, K. Cal. Well done, young man. What a wonderful strike that was. How many times, Anthony, do we go to practice and we see them doing with that exact drill where K comes in on the right-hand side and that shot's to pick out the bottom left-hand corner of Bingham's goal. Welcome back, everybody, to the, the second part of the Teutonic Takes. We're going to go ahead and go over the LAFC game. And then we're going to get to your fan questions, as well as a little interview that Joel Soria had with Matias Almeida. Um, so, as all, all you guys know, we lost pretty badly to LAFC. It was yesterday, but we've had time to sleep on it, and we've had a little bit to think about it. And the conclusion that me and Ivan came up with is we suck. <laughs> no, 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Expert analysis here. You won't find anywhere else. <laughs> we unfortunately still suck. Even if we have a shiny new Porsche coach, you know, shiny new Ferrari as our head coach, we still can't drive it for <laughs> for schmack. Um, so LFC five one to the Earthquakes at Bank of California Stadium. Los Angeles. So this team actually has a stadium in Los Angeles. Yeah, geographically accurate. And the scoreline was personally pretty accurate in terms of which was the better team. So start off in the 20th minute with Diego Rossi scoring to open the scoring in that game. It was assisted by the Canadian international Mark Anthony Kay. And then – the Quakes limp into halftime, only down 1-0. Thought we were getting off easy tonight, but Amazingly. that would not be the case. <laughs> uh, starting off right away into the second half, the 48th minute, Bradley Wright Phillips from a fast break scored and made it 2-0 with Vega botching the initial save attempt. Another high-profile error for our current somehow number one goalkeeper. And then it became 3-0 through Jose Cifuentes, assisted by Brian Rodriguez. And it was also helped with a botched clearance by Florian Youngworth. In the 68th minute, it became 4-0 with Diego Rossi getting his brace. It was a close-range effort followed by another missed clearance, so no assist on that goal. The fifth and Mercifully, final goal from LAFC came in the 82nd minute from Danny Mazowski with an assist from Andy Nahar. And last and not least in my heart, Danny Houston scored the one goal for the San Jose Earthquakes in the stoppage time of the second half. Assist from Christian Espinoza and no clean sheet for LAFC, so take that. All I got to say is it's Danny Houston season, baby. Let's get that pretty boy with the nice hair out there. I'm officially on that Andy Rios gets Ben's hype train that Ivan has been talking about all season. I think it's finally time that we see the pretty boy with the nice hair out there that scored on Barcelona get some appearances for the San Jose Earthquakes. All right. Yeah. So the shots, the shots, LAFC had the advantage of 19 to 10. Seven to two shots on target, which is kind of crazy to me. I mean, where did our shot? We didn't even have 10 shots. They were probably just shots that were to the corner, corner kick, because they didn't they didn't do anything this game. Um, possession, amazingly, the Quakes had 51%. I mean, yeah. we, you know, it's all about that possession. At least we lo- we had the possession. If we lost five to right. one, we had the possession. Well, <laughs> possession is nine-tenths of the law, then losing 5-1 the LAFC technically broke the law. <laughs> exactly, exactly. This is an anomaly. It's never going to happen again. They've scored 20 <laughs> unanswered points against us. That's never going to happen again. Or 20 unanswered <laughs> goals, never going to happen. That's insane. That's an insane stat. Um, pass accuracy, we have 74% by LAFC. Quakes was 75%. Again, we beat them on pass accuracy. Who needs Magnus Eriksson? We do not. <laughs> created LAFC 2 to Quake 0. Corners, LAFC advantage six to five. Did you see the good corner kicks from Espinosa this week, Ivan? Um, yeah, set pieces both offensively and defensively need a little work, but uh, I don't mind Espinosa taking them. 
Yeah, compared to Magnus Eriksson always like hitting it too long or hitting the first defender, I feel like we're doing better on Christian Espinosa on both sides of the free kick. Or uh, sorry, the corner kick. Um, yeah. Jackson Yule was on the free kick. That was pretty close. So I'm oh, excited. Yeah. I'm excited for that if he if he gets it, you know, in in under the crossbar. Um, and then fouls. LAFC had ten to the Quakes twelve. Offsides. LAFC had two, while the Quakes only had one. Yeah, because Andy Rios was disappearing this game. Um, yellow cards, LFC one, 32, uh, 32nd minute, Diego Palacios. And then Ivan, since we talked about Cade Cal, the first impressions, what was your second impression of Cade Cal? Uh, it was tough to get an impression on almost any of these offensive players because it was a lot of LAFC chances, even though the Quakes had position, like they for much less threatening than LAFC. I, just watching the game, if you give it the eye test, like I trust the stats that we get from MLSsoccer.com, but the eye test was not giving the Quakes a passing grade tonight. Yeah, I think the eye test was bad. I mean, this is the one game where I was like, oh, my dad's an avid listener of this podcast. Shout out to my dad, Erwin. Um, but he, he always – he was like, oh, man, you talk about Diego Rossi a lot. You know, I want to see him play. I want to see what you what you see in him, you know, because my dad's from Uruguay. So, And he actually got to see what I was talking about. I'm like Diego Rossi's biggest fanboy on a San Jose podcast. <laughs> but I thought Kid Cal disappeared in this game. They took him off early because it was unfortunately obvious that they needed some attacking offense on this game. And for some reason, they wanted to keep Andy Rios in, so they put Danny Husen in on the left, which is odd to me. Um, we might actually see in this next upcoming match, I know this is people just seeing things and saying things on Twitter. We might actually see Danny Huzan on the left and Vaco in the, in the middle or Vaco on the left, Danny Huzan up top and Andy Rios in the middle at that 10 roll. So Ivan still doesn't get his wish. Andy Rios is still on the, on the pitch, but at least we get to see Andy Rios in more of a creative role instead of a finishing role, which I think may suit him better because I, I like his hold-up play. You know, I'm not going to lie. I do like his hold-up play. I know we're talking about Cade Cal right now, <laughs> but Cade Cal kind of disappeared in that game. I think Andy Rios does is going to do a better job in that 10 role. Um, yeah, I, I think Andy Rios is the safer option. I'm obviously more excited about Cade Cowell, but as talented as he is, he's still only 16 years old. You don't have to push him off the deep end entirely. And they were talking about this in the uh, Black and Azul podcast. Shout out to them. They do a great job there. Um, that Indy Rios is sort of being misused. And it could be totally harsh and be like, well, misusing a bad player isn't that much better than correctly using a bad player. But it's worth a shot at this point. Like, you can't just keep doing the same things over and over again and expect the same results. Maybe move Indy Rios to that not – creative role as a second striker in behind Danny Houston and that might change things we'll see yeah again I saw another tweet that said what do you expect for for starting uh Tanner Beeson and Tommy Thompson versus Diego Rossi and Brian Rodriguez two players that will eventually play for the senior Uruguay squad which is a great squad a great farm system that they have there so then that's top eight you know team in the world at most times and what I mean, we've got Tommy Thompson out there and Tanner Beeson. What do you guys expect? And that's the, that's the harsh reality. Again, if this team is not going to get the reinforcements it needs, it 
this MLS league is just going to pass them by. Again, I said LAFC was in a different league, and I totally meant it. It seemed like we were our USL side. It seemed like we were a Sac Republic or a Reno just going against the behemoth that is LAFC. And this was not a David versus Goliath type thing. Goliath just destroyed us. Ivan, right. talking a little bit about Tanner Beeson, what did you think about him? Second impression of Tanner Beeson. Well, if starting Tanner Beeson against LA Galaxy was also throwing him to the Wolves a bit, um, these Wolves in LAFC were like mechanical and scientifically engineered. Like he stood no chance, unfortunately. And I'm not going to drag him too much because when you, you concede five goals, it's not just the fault of one player, it's usually the fault of the entire defense. So it's a tough game for him. I'm just hoping that he learns from it. And it's a scary thing because you don't know what happens to a player. You can hope that the pressure turns coals into diamonds. But at the same time, with young players, too many negative results can't be great for their confidence. It's not great for confidence even if you're an experienced player. Yeah, you know, this 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 loss doesn't really affect the players of Chase Leonis or Chris Wondolowski because they're at the end of their career. But the confidence for Kid Cal and Tanner Beeson and Nick Lima and Tommy Thompson really was shot down in these last two games. Um, you know when you're playing FIFA and their form just goes straight down? <laughs> That's where right. we're at right now. Um, unfortunately, the only bright spot of this whole game was our boy Eric Calvillo coming out on the field and getting some minutes. I know, he said, I know he said that was his goal. His goal was to get out on the field for LAFC, and he got it. I mean, maybe he knew a little bit that we did it. But, um, Speaking into existence. Yeah, definitely. Now he has to say, I want to play in a game where we don't lose 5-1. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He did a great job. I felt like um, – I remember when we talked about his interview, he, his biggest uh, downside of his game was that he can't turn with the ball and move forward. That might be a little harsh. He said that himself, but I thought he turned pretty well and on some of the plays, and he passed the ball well, pretty pretty good as well. Um, Yutsin, for some reason, I know everybody says he's really good. I know everybody says Jackson was really good, but the midfield was just nowhere to be found this game. They were just running, being tired, and again, LAFC, I don't know what they put in Latif Blessing's drink before the game, but that dude runs like crazy. And he was just outdoing anybody that was on the field. He was all the way in the forefront, attacking our defense and making our midfield and defense just look completely gassed and completely tired. What do you think about the game, Ivan? Yeah, so th- this is a conversation that was brought up earlier uh, on social media. Does any Quakes player start for LAFC? And I love these players and I'll support them no matter what. But if I'm being honest, I don't think so. Like, I'm not even going to bother with the goalkeeper in defense. And there are some good players in our midfield and forwards. But look at the midfields and forwards for LAFC. Without Carlos Vela there, you can have a lineup of Brian Rodriguez, Diego Rossi, Bradley Wright Phillips, Eduardo Atuesta. Um, and if he wasn't, he wasn't fit today, so you could slide in a Jose Cifuentes or somebody. Mark Anthony Kay and Latif Blessing. Like, that's an incredible team. Like, any of these players, either this season or in coming seasons, they can achieve things like MLS All-Star appearances. They'll be on MLS teams in the season. They could move to Europe or something for the younger players. Like, this is an incredible team. It's 
they have kind of become the PSG of this league where, like, they can do everything except to win the MLS Cup. <laughs> but they're doing pretty well, and they've built a really good team. Yeah, it's you know, it's, that's actually a really good point that you bring up. I think the only player that might even sniff that roster is Jackson Ewell. Um, but unfortunately, they have Mark Anthony Kay. They drafted him, and they drafted – Latif Blessing. That is insane. These guys are great at drafting. They actually spend money, and their morale's always up because they know that they're a good team, and they're always going to have good players. They don't even have Diamande. You remember when we were talking about when Diamande was going to not be with them anymore? Doesn't right. matter. They have Bradley Wright Phillips that just filled that role completely. And the worst thing that could ever happen to the Quakes is Bradley Wright Phillips scoring more goals on them. Because he's the only person I could ever see possibly catching Chris Wondolowski's record. And if, if he keeps getting minutes and if he keeps putting in goals, then that's not good news. We need Wondolowski to make sure that he gets that, that number one goal scorer forever. Right. And this will be the last time that I'm overly negative. But someone on Twitter commented that the Quakes are the worst team in California right now after that 5-1 loss. And – at that moment, I honestly thought that that could still be an accurate statement if you included the USL teams, Sacramento, Orange County, Galaxy 2, and San Diego Loyal. Obviously, an MLS team, it's like the days where like people were asking, oh, which could Kentucky beat the Charlotte Bobcats that went 7-53? and Like, There's still a big gap between like eight, the MLS and USL, but still, like, San Jose Earthquakes need to start acting like they deserve to be in MLS. Like, thank goodness there's no relegation. I mean, imagine if we didn't have Matias. If we didn't have Matias, like, he is in the boat right now with, that, with maybe one paddle. And without him, like, it would just be heading toward a waterfall no matter what. Like, so. So with Matias' struggles, do you kind of give the Quakes head coaches before kind of a pass? Do, or were we a little harsh on them? I think Michael Starre, oh, my gosh, he got a lot of it. And we had a, you know, a coach come in like Matias Almeida where he's won three championships the last three teams he's been with. And mm-hmm. starting to actually see the cracks in the boat. And we're starting to see that this is a harder project and a, probably a bigger bite than he thought to chew off. Um, right. And this game just went ahead and kind of brought that to the forefront. This was a nationally televised game. I hated hearing that the, the Univision um, broadcasters just rip on us, not even giving us a chance when it was 2-0, telling us, oh, what do you think this game is going to end at? 5-0, 4-0? All right, betting on the game, what it was going to end at. And I hate that. We need to stop acting like a small market team. We need to make sure that we spend some money. But that's never going to happen when Fisher's around. Again, I hate watching the A's because I know if you like a player that's doing good for them, he's not going to be on the A's in four or five years. So you better enjoy him now. And that sucks. That sucks being a fan. I know Moneyball is great for baseball, and Moneyball was great for the A's, but he's trying to do the same thing with the Earthquakes, and it's pissing me off and it's pissing us all off. What do you think about that, Ivan? Yeah, in terms of that ownership strategy, whenever you have any sort of ownership stakes in two – or more sports leagues, you have to understand that what works in one sport does not work for another. There's a reason why these are different sports because 
they are so fundamentally different on the field and off the field. And soccer is different for the simple reason as the fact that it's not a North American centric game. It, hockey, baseball, football, basketball, the biggest spheres of influences for each of those sports are in North America. So they have these separate culture in a way from soccer and the whole point of major league soccer you can americanize this sport to an extent like i don't mind having playoffs there's playoffs in the mexican league and there's playoffs in the efl championship for promotion and stuff but only to a certain extent and i think that this isn't the only owner in MLS that is misguided, but it's particularly noticeable in the San Jose Earthquakes situation. Yeah, can, all, can all the MLS 1.0 owners just kind of sell off the team so this whole league can kind of grow? This is, this is the example where everybody that came in in MLS 1.0 is starting to see, let's use them as a neighborhood, right? They bought a house in a neighborhood that wasn't that good, but then now they're starting to see people buy houses and then fix them up. And they're just sticking around to get that property value up. Cause if my neighbor has a great house and his house looks good and, and they're getting all the accolades, then that means my property value is going up. And that's what all these owners from MLS 1.0 are sticking around and seeing. They're just reaping the benefits of all the teams like LAFC you know, I'll put the Galaxy in there. I'll put Atlanta United in there. Because you know what? At the end of the day, when COVID's not a thing, they actually make ticket sales off of all those stars that come into play. I know when Zlatan was here, that ticket was a hot ticket. Um, everybody wanted to go see him. Everybody even wanted to go see um, Sebastian Giovinco when Toronto FC played here. That was a great mm-hmm. start. And I never thought he would be that good until I saw him in person. I was like, wow, dude, this guy's like 5'2", just making, making a mess of this defense right now. Um, and unfortunately, the guys in MLS, what, the owners from one, MLS 1, 1.0, they're just wreaking the benefits of all these owners that actually want to spend money. And it's mm-hmm. unfortunate. And we're, we're a part of that group. And we're a part of the RSLs. And we're a part of the Colorados. And we're a part of, we're a part of MLS 1.0. And, and we are truly pretenders. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, and then hearing the uh, Almeida interview, which was provided to us by the amazing Quakes reporter, Joel Soria, that Almeida is a bit of an enigma. He tries not to say it explicitly, of course, because as a manager, you're not supposed to trash your team. But he has hinted that he knows there are certain players he can rely on, there's certain players that he cannot, which I believe is a euphemism for saying I can believe in maybe four players or five players on a consistent basis, but the rest of the team, they're not ready for whatever reason. It could be, you know, there's obviously a lot of young players. There's players that have constantly underperformed and there are some players that are like, yeah, they're underperformed, but like the next player under them isn't ready or he believes isn't ready. And the biggest indicator of that lack of belief is in the goalkeeper spot. Daniel Vega is getting chance after chance, and we've seen so many different defenders play in these last few games. If Tanner Beeson and Paul Marie can get games, why can't a Matt Bersano or JT Marcinkowski get a game? And, yeah, it's just ridiculous. You know, you know, I completely agree with you. If all these young guys can get games in, but JT Marcinkowski, Marcinkowski, sorry, thank you, can't get a game in, um, 
it's kind of there has to be something going on behind the scenes. And I know there was a there was a quote about a player or a, a reporter kind of interviewing Almeida about this kind of situation. I think it was Quakes Talk at Quakes Talk on Twitter. Um, he went ahead and asked him, and he, he Almeida kind of scoffed at scoffed at him, and he said JT is not ready. And I thought that was really odd because if he's getting call ups to the U.S. national teams, you know, under twenty ones, that means he's on par to try to at least get some minutes in. So I thought that was really odd. And Ivan, can you please tell me why Danny Hoosen is the only one that looks like he was trying out there for the last forty five minutes that he was playing, or thirty five minutes? I mean, Hoosen did have a lot of incentive to try. I think the players that did get subbed on, the uh, Calvillos, the Maries, they haven't said they get subbed on because they know that when the coach is starting to doubt some of his starters, he's not doubting all of them as he should be, that that's your opportunity to get some minutes. And Houston has been somewhat phased out of the team He's been he's not even he's not the first choice striker off the bench. Obviously that's gonna be Wondolowski, so that further limits his role. And the best way to maybe change a coach's mind is to score a goal. So he had the motivation and I think maybe some other players are feeling a bit too comfortable and they really shouldn't be. No one should feel comfortable about their position in a club as a starter or even being at that club in any capacity when you lose 5-1. These are results that even if you're a bottom table team in like England or even the second division in England, if you lose by that much, yeah. questions will be asked. When Wigan beat Hull City 8-0, this is in the second division of England, heads were rolling, people were furious, and because Hull City are a team that they played in the Premier League not too long ago, that there is a certain level of expectation with every club in the world, and the Quakes, like, they – we continue to lower the bar because, as fans because we just get tired of expecting things that just haven't happened, haven't come close to happening. And I shouldn't even say that this next game is a must-win game against the Colorado Rapids, but it's the Colorado Rapids. Like, I don't care who's on that team. I know that they have some good players, as do – every team in MLS and any team in MLS can beat San Jose Earthquakes right now, but this is a must win game to turn your season around. And against the Seattle Sounders five days after that, that's more than enough time to get some rest when everyone else is playing every three days. That's a game that you have to prove that the performance in the MLS's back tournament wasn't a fluke. Like even if you get another zero zero draw, like expect better play and, the way they play against the LA teams, Seattle is definitely capable of scoring three or four goals against this defense. Yeah, so Jackson Yule is the captain now, and we all kind of saw that. Even the poll was right. You know, it's funny. We did a little poll on Teutonic Takes, and everybody got <laughs> it right, and I was kind of shocked. I personally yeah. thought it would be, you know, maybe maybe because Garam isn't out there. He's not the captain, but I maybe thought right. it would be Garam. Um, but he, but Matias made that decision and chose Jackson. So Jackson Yule was our captain and he completely disappeared. Um, did almost nothing in that game versus LAFC. Um, but I will give it to him that he almost had that free kick goal. Uh, right. After seeing that performance, I believe Jackson still has a couple of years playing with the quakes before he sniffs Europe um, or the national team. 
after that performance, I wasn't sold on Jackson. You, I actually even made a comment and I was like, Hey guys, I'm not sold on action Jackson just yet. And I was blasted for that. But at the end of the day, what do we see from any of these guys? Unfortunately, as of right now, I don't see anything that makes me think, Oh yeah, these guys want it. These guys want to be there. You know who I saw from Diego Rossi and Brian Rodriguez. I saw Brian Rodriguez fall to the ground and have the ball right in front of him and give a great assist. I mean, there's, you have to have passion. You have to have want to win games. And I thought with the Montiel Almeida, we would see that, but unfortunately we're not seeing that. We're like you said, we're seeing complacency in your role. Studs and duds for this game against LAFC stud of course was Danny Houston. He showed effort, which is more than what we can say for a lot of these players in this game. And the dud was Daniel Vega. It's not all his fault, but he is still making mistakes and he's still at fault for a lot of these goals and his time has to be running out. Yeah, my stud for the game is actually not a quake. I think it goes to Diego Rossi. Um, I feel like he did a great job that game and I don't want to give it to any quake. Unfortunately, they don't deserve it. And Fair I, enough. I thought the dud goes to the whole defense. The whole defense did horribly. Paul Marie and Florian Young, Tanner Beeson, Vega, um, Nick Lima got pulled that game early. So I think they did horribly. Um, even uh, Musuvovsky, the guy who the Quakes draft, drafted and then cut, was on the score sheet. So the bleeding did not stop that night. Um, after the game, Joel Soria had an interview with Matias, and he actually didn't come out till about an hour and a half after the game. So he was in there furious. He was in there just getting mad at every single player just because they didn't show any heart like we've gone over already in a couple of times. And here's a quote. This is from Joel Soria's interview. I came here because I believe in a project, and one day I will be a champion. I did not come to vacation. And that's, again, I, I want to believe in that, but I'm not seeing any sort of change through Matias speak louder than words at this point and I think that Almeida is partially responsible still he is a great coach he's proven himself he has the resume but at the same time what have you done for me lately and he's got to find a way to turn things around whatever the personnel he has I don't think he's getting the most out of this unit in these last two games and part of it are errors that they're making on the field like as a coach, like you can't prevent a goalkeeper from making a mistake, but you have to put players in the position to succeed. And that's what we said about Tommy Thompson. Maybe you're not at the luxury to play a midfielder as a right back. So maybe consider shuffling Nick Lima and starting an actual left back like Marcos Lopez now that you have him back. Right. We're going to go ahead a couple of bullet points really quickly to kind of go over this Joel Soria interview. Um, it seems like Fisher has found his coach. Almeida is bought into this not purchasing as his owner and not rotating players unless he's forced to. And it, it hurt me to hear that he's, he believes that these guys after day after day, game after game, he, he can win with them. And I, I don't hate him for it because I do like these guys. I think they're great people. But unfortunately, they're just not putting up the results. Right. And part of it is being a manager, like there are certain things you can and can't say, but there is also a certain point where you're misleading either yourself or the fans or both. And sometimes you got to face the music. 
Yeah, so it's hard to believe this rhetoric when other teams that are in the same league signing Gonzalo Higuain and Carlos Vela. Again, we are not a small market team. We are a destination. We're California. We're Bay Area. We should not being, we should not be outbid by these other teams like Colorado and Columbus. Even Columbus has a better roster than we do as of right now. Sporting Kansas City beating us to Alan Polito. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly a great example. Why are I mean, I don't know about paying so much for Alan Polito, but still, we're getting beat by these other teams that aren't destinations. Who wants to live in Kansas City? I know I don't. California, what up? Apparently, Patrick Mahomes doesn't mind, but yeah, still. That's, that's besides the point. <laughs> yeah. So, is it time to start the Almeida out hashtag? I mean, is that is that too soon? Our head's going to roll. I think it depends on how this season ends. I think the one thing that certainly won't change things is you can't expect a manager to come in with a to-be-determined timeline to figure out where to go from here. I think Almeida's got to live up to the challenge that he claims he came here for. Yeah, you know, it's funny. In the last podcast, we kind of said what would be a success and what would be a failure of Matias's tenure. And we said, I, I know I said a definitive style of play would make it a success, even if we didn't make the playoffs or if we didn't have any sort of championships here. And I think I was completely wrong on that. Um, after this loss, I need to see some silverware to not think he's a fraud anymore. I need to see at least playoffs. I think silverware might be a bridge too far, even when he does get his act together, because this is becoming a league with teams like Seattle and LAFC and uh, Atlanta when they're healthy in Toronto. It's going to be tough, even with a few transfer windows, to catch up to them. But there's no reason why you can't become a playoff team and beat out the likes of Salt Lake, Colorado, Vancouver to get to this point. Yeah, I totally agree with that. We shouldn't be losing to those teams, but now we're starting to get clumped in with those teams, even if we have that that star of a head coach, and that's the craziest thing to me. I mean, he can get guys in that aren't Andy Rios, but unfortunately we don't have the pocketbook to bring in any of those guys. Um, Ivan kind of went over previewing the next upcoming games. If you want to go ahead and just repeat it for our fan base real quick. Yeah, so on September 5th, this uh, Saturday, we have the San Jose Earthquakes taking on Colorado Rapids heading back to Avaya Stadium. For me, this is a must-win game. With all due respect to Colorado Rapids, they are not a trash team by any means, but they are a beatable team, and San Jose Earthquakes need to get a good result. I don't even think a draw is enough. I think they need to get a win because if they don't get a win against the Rapids, I'm not sure where they get a win in these next few games. The good news is, though, after this game, they will have five days rest. I don't want to hear anything about tired legs because every team in MLS is going through this right now. In September 10th, they will travel to the CenturyLink Field in Seattle for a Pacific Northwest uh, sh- soccer showdown. This is a chance to prove that the MLS's back tournament wasn't a fluke. If they can repeat their performance against the Sounders, this is a game where I can accept a draw. If they can repeat that situation that they had in Orlando, then I'll start to believe in this team again as well. But these are big ifs at this point. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So on to our next segment, we have fan questions. Um, I'll go ahead and do the first one. Javi Diaz asks when we will 
the Quakes actually be a relevant team in the MLS? We get these questions every week. Um, when will we stop being so mediocre? And I'll tell you when we sell <laughs> the team or when uh, Matias gets a, a, you know, a blank check. I think when Matias gets a blank check, we'll finally see some good quality. Yeah, it's going to be for the foreseeable future if the past two years have been any indication. But hopefully, you know, hope springs eternal. Kevin Portillo asks, besides marketing the location near San Francisco, how can we get the FO to begin making the team competitive? A competitive team brings more people than having the largest outdoor bar and drum. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Kevin. I think we do have to do a bigger job. And I, I know I love the name San Jose Earthquakes, but that starts with making the Bay Area feel included. Um, I know this is a part of the San Jose Earthquakes kind of story and and they go all the way back to 74 being no we're in san jose we're not in you know san francisco and that was a that's been a problem ever since the nsl days back when that's you know the quakes just started up in 74 they didn't want to be san francisco but at this point in time it's we're a global market we're a global team we have to be able to have san francisco under our wing and use it as a backdrop what do you think about that evan yeah i think you can use San Francisco as a marketing tool while being in San Jose, regardless of the separate identities that San Jose has with the Silicon Valley, San Francisco has with its history in the Golden Gate Bridge, and Oakland has with its uh, large communities of African Americans and Mexicans and that type of blue collar mentality. This is still one incredible part of California and the United States that does thrive off of each other. And it doesn't matter if you're a fan of the San Jose teams, Sharks or Earthquakes or Oakland A's or San Francisco Giants, you're part of the Bay Area. And that can be something that includes the entire area, all seven plus million people that live in these counties. And it can make people from beyond notice San Jose Earthquakes. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a melting pot that would just be completely great for the whole world for, for you to come and play. I mean, I think this is, again, we're making noise on the rigged scale of football if we sign a big <laughs> a big signing to the Bay Area. Um, MLS Power Rankings, they have us at yeah. 13th. Do you, do you think that's too high, Ivan? Yeah, so these Power Rankings are at uh, as of September 1st, 2020. So this is taking into account – the uh, game against LA Galaxy. And uh, just for a bit of uh, context, I'll briefly mention some of the other rankings on this list. So at the very top, we have Toronto FC. Uh, We have the MLS Cup champions, Timbers, at number six. The team that just played the San Jose Earthquakes yesterday, LAFC, is at seven. And another bogey team for us is Minnesota at 10. And then we have Quakes at 13. And when you definitely look at Minnesota at number 10, only three spots above the San Jose Quakes, and Galaxy at 15, only two spots below, which beat San Jose Quakes now, I'm starting to feel like this is a bit generous. And if I were to make power rankings right now, I wouldn't put the Quakes higher than the low teams like 18 or 19. Yeah, I agree. I think this this list is a little bogus. I see RSL sitting there at eleven, while uh, <laughs> um, and uh, and and I don't. I mean, yeah, Inter Miami hasn't really done well. Um, 
I think they're deserved at 23, but RSL is at 11, and I think that's pretty bogus. Um, but our last question to kind of end all of this, Ivan, I'm going to ask you, will Matias ever win a championship with the San Jose Earthquakes? If we're just saying straight up winning an MLS Cup title, I think no, at least definitely not with this group. And maybe not even if this team does undergo a significant transformation. Like I said, the gap between San Jose Earthquakes, a middle of the pack MLS team in the best of times, and the top four, five, six teams in MLS that will be competing for these MLS Cups is going to be tough to overcome. It's going to be a tough mountain to climb. Uh, I'm not sure if Almeida is going to be here longer than three or four years at most, especially in modern soccer. That's a long time for a manager if they're not at a top club in their respective league or unless you're DC United and you're attached to the hip with Ben Olsen. <laughs> but um, I think there's a chance that they could win something of note. Maybe they win a supporter shield. Maybe they win a U.S. Open Cup. But even then, that's going to take some time and it's going to take some significant change. Yeah, we definitely need some money spent and some quality brought in. All right, so that wraps up our sixth episode of Tectonic Takes. I want to thank Ivan for taking the time to kind of join us here today. And I want to thank all of you guys to go ahead and um, joining us. And I really appreciate all the love we get, all the questions we get. Um, if you want to hear a little more about us and if you want to be a little more involved with what we're doing, we have our own Discord. Uh, where We have our own little Discord channel in the San Jose Earthquakes Discord. Um, so please go ahead and join us there. We have, we're going to go ahead and show the season ticket holder interviews there. So Jackson, you Tommy Thompson and Paul Marie will all be displayed as well as Victor Bernardes. And we have plenty more interviews to come. We're going to go ahead and have Kevin Partita, the Reno right back that plays. And we're also going to have Quincy Ameriqua on the podcast. So we're definitely going to have a lot more to come. Please don't forget to rate and subscribe and then tell your friends about us because we want to get our word out. Again, this podcast is for you guys. This podcast is for you to have a voice with Quakes Media. All I have to say, go Quakes and thank you for joining. Go Quakes. Have a good one.